hope for for the hating heart. Like we have seen, I talked about this last week, that this world is full of challenges. This world is full of disappointments. It's full of pain. And it's full of hopelessness. One thing that we know is Jesus is the hope of glory. Jesus is our hope as Christians. Without Him we have no hope. And there is no any other place where we can find our hope. There is no human being who will give you hope other than Jesus. In the Bible we read about a family. And that's what you are going to focus on tonight. We read about a family that was very close to, to Jesus. It's a very popular family. This is a family of Lazarus and his two sisters. And the name of those two sisters was Mary and, and Martha. The Bible says that Jesus loved to visit this family. Martha was a great cook. She was so hospitable. And she would always make very nice, fantastic meals for, for the Lord. And this family of Mary, Martha and Lazarus, they could legitimately say we are friends of Jesus. They will say that Jesus of Nazareth was their personal friend. Because he frequented their home. Uh, and they used to live in, in, a, in a city or a small town or a village called Bethany. And Bethany was almost less than two miles from, uh, from Jerusalem. It's about three, three kilometers or so from Jerusalem. It's very, very close uh, to Jerusalem. As you know that Jerusalem is, I mean, uh, Israel is divided into two parts or two regions. There's the northern region and the southern region. And the northern part of Israel, they maintain the name Israel. The southern part of Israel, it's called Judea. It's called Judea. So Jesus grew up in the northern part of Israel. He was born in Bethlehem, which is in the southern part of uh, Israel in the in the Judea area or Judea region but he grew up in Nazareth and after some time he moved from Nazareth and he established his headquarters in a town or a city called Capernaum Capernaum or Capernaum Bethany you know uh, could be recognized as Jesus' second home. Could be recognized as his Judean home. Because when he was in the southern part of Israel, in Judea, he would always stay in Bethany. In actual fact, sometimes he would, go, he would be in Jerusalem. But in the evening, he would walk and go back to Bethany and he would always stay there. Jesus loved this small city or this small town of Bethany. In actual fact, uh, the, the ascension, you know, on ascension day, when Jesus ascended, he ascended from Bethany. When he ascended, he ascended, he was in Bethany. Let's look at Luke chapter 24. Uh, in Luke chapter 24, verse 50 and 51, the Bible says he led them out until they were over against Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he parted from them. And he was carried up in heaven. So ascension took place in Bethany. That's how important this small town or small village was. And how much Jesus loved the people in Bethany. And that's where this family used to live. If you look at the map, you will see how close Bethany is to, uh, to Jerusalem. You will see that they were very, very close to, to Jerusalem. It's less than, like I said, it's less than uh, two miles if you look at the, at the map between Jerusalem and, and Bethany. So this is Jerusalem and here this is Bethany. They are very, very close to each other. Bethany is just right at the Mount of Olives. Very close to the Mount of Olives. And that's where 
Lazarus, Martha, and Mary used to live. And that's why Jesus always, when he comes to Jerusalem, uh, you know, for those festive seasons, he will come to Jerusalem, but then he will go and stay outside Jerusalem in Bethany. And there are quite a number of scriptures that show that Jesus will always go back to, to Bethany, will always leave Jerusalem and go back to Bethany. So that's how close Bethany was to Jerusalem. And there's a reason why I'm trying to show this. So that you can understand what was happening. You can understand the story of the resurrection of Lazarus much, much better. Today, uh, Bethany has changed their name. The name of that place, the name of that small town. Today it's called El Azaria. El Azaria, what it simply means is the place of Lazarus. They changed the name from Bethany and they started to call the name of the, of the town the place of Lazarus. El Azaria. El Azaria. One day, uh, Jesus was busy with his work. He was busy ministering. So if you look at John chapter 1 or chapter 11 from verse 1, the Bible says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. What we see here from the beginning is Jesus had friends. He had family friends. And the family that was very close to Jesus, the family that was a friend of Jesus, was the family of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. They were very close friends. You know, if you look at Jesus, he had friends. Even Paul, Paul had friends. If you go to the book of Acts chapter, uh, chapter 20 from verse 4, it lists about seven friends of Paul. People who traveled with Paul. So, Jesus also had friends. Now, with Jesus' friends, these were not just ministry friends. These were just family friends. It, it was not like the twelve apostles. No, it was just regular friends like, you know, you can have friends in your life. You can have people that you can call friends. People that you share experiences with. People that you share a certain history with. You know, I can boldly say, uh, Pastor Obrich Kwamban is my friend. Pastor Thomas is my friend. Or Dr. Prince is my friend. Or Dr. Garish is my friend. You know, I can say they are my friends because there is a lot that we share in our lives. A lot that I can identify with them also. And when I need the help, I can pick up a phone and call Dr. Garish and he's always there to help me. If I, I need help, I can call uh, Pastor Aubrey and I know he will help me. If I need help, I can call, you know, Pastor Thomas. I can call Dr. Prince. I can call anybody that I refer to as friends. Those are the people that we do life with. Any of them, they can call me anytime. We are friends. And Jesus had those kind of people that he could say, yes, they are my friends. Yes, they are my friends. We all need friends in our lives. You cannot do life by yourself. We are all born for relationships. We are all born for friendships. No one should do life in isolation. Don't do life in isolation. You need friends in your life. We should invest in friendships. We should invest in relationships. If you do not have friends, you have to ask yourself quite a number of questions because the Bible says, we reap what we sow. If people are not friendly to you, you have to ask yourself some questions. What am I sowing in their lives? If you, if you sow hatred, guess what you will get? You will reap hatred. If you sow love, you will reap love. And this applies even in your relationship. What is it that you are sowing in that relationship? If you sow friendship, you will reap friendship. People will be friendly to you. If you are just friendly with people, they will be friendly with you also. So if you look at your life and say, I don't have any friends. I don't have 
People, people don't seem to be interested in me. People don't seem to be friendly with me. The question is, are you friendly with them? Because you reap what you sow. Just be friendly with people. Just be nice to people. And people will be nice to you. I know not all of them. But generally, if you are nice to people, people will, will also be nice to you. Jesus had time to visit his friends. And sometimes he will just sit and chill and relax. In actual fact, sometimes, you know, they will, he will go to, uh, to Lazarus' house, Matthew, I mean, Ma- Martha and Mary. He will go to their house just to relax and, and Martha will cook for them and they will eat and Jesus will tell them stories and, Ma- you know, Mary will sit at his feet and listen and enjoy listening to Jesus talking. Sometimes I, I'm sure he could even share some jokes with them and they will laugh because they were friends. They were friends. He had time for his friends. Do you have time for your friends? Remember, Jesus was fully God and he was fully man at the same time. So he will feel lonely, he will feel the pain, he will feel anything that any human being can feel. Jesus was full human being. Everybody knew that this family was a friend of Jesus. What a privilege. You are the friends of Jesus. I could imagine maybe Peter was looking for, for Jesus and he asked John, Oh, where, where is where is John? Where, where is Jesus? And John was, Oh, he went to his friends. Which friend? Oh, Lazarus? Yes, that's where he is. He's at their house. Okay, okay. <laughs> if it was today, if it was today, they would WhatsApp, you know, he would, he would WhatsApp with, I don't know, with Mary or with Martha or with with, with uh, Lazarus they will whatsapp they will send email and sometimes they will chat every day if it was today's life I could imagine Mary will ask his brother Lazarus who, who are you chatting with at night like this and Lazarus will say oh I'm chatting with Jesus <laughs> I'm chatting with Jesus I'm communicating with Jesus That I'm trying to show you how close they were. They were friends. They were friends. And the Bible says one day, Lazarus, the friend of Jesus, Lazarus, the friend of Jesus, got sick. Got sick. And in John chapter 11, verse 3, the Bible says, So the sister sent a word to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. That's a powerful statement. The one you love is sick. Jesus was ministering. And he received a message. He received a word. That one of his family friends is sick. The one you love is sick. And I'll spend the next four or five minutes here talking about love. Because the word that is used there, love, is the word... Agapeo. Agapeo. That's where we find the word agape. Agape is a noun. Agapeo is a verb. The one that you agapeo is sick. Our English words or our English language does not have enough words to describe the word love. There are different types of love. Different types of love. There is what we call eros love, that's a passionate or romantic love, the love between husband and wife. We have the, what we call the pragma love. Pragma love is what we call enduring or commitment love. When the eros love is gone, what is left between husband and wife is what we call pragma, commitment love. Instead of falling in love, you are standing in love with your partner. No matter what they go through, you stand with them. You stand by their side. That's what you call pragma love. You, 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 you remain committed to the person. Even, with, even if the things that attracted you to that person, they are no longer there. But you stay committed to the person. That's what you call pragma love. Enduring love. Commitment love. Because the eros love is very temporal. It's very emotional up and down. Sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not there. 
But pragma love will keep you together. The next one is what you call the lotus love. This is a no playful love, childlike, no f- uh, flattering love. You know, when people tease each other, playful, you know, and it's not serious, you know. Always laughter between the two, the two people. That's what you call the lotus love. We also have what you call the phileo. The phileo love, this is a deep brotherly love or friendship love. When you are friends, when you are friendly, uh, that's what you call the phileo love. The other one is what you call the philosia. Philosia love is what you call the self-love. You love yourself. You love yourself. Love other people. You love your brother. You love your sister. You love your neighbor as you love yourself. You cannot love another person if you do not love yourself first. You must have self-love. You must, you must have love in you. So you can be able to, to give that love to other people. You give that love to others. You cannot give what you do not have. So people who do not love themselves, you see the way they treat other people. The way you treat another person, that's how you feel inside. So if you are full of love, you will do what is right. You will do what is right. And we have what we call storage. Storage love its the family love. The love that you have for your family. And also of what you call the mania love. Mania love, it's obsessive love. When somebody always wants to be with you. And in most cases, it leads to unwanted jealousy. You know, sometimes you have that possess, possessive uh, spirit. You feel like you possess the person. And that is wrong. You feel like you own the person. Nobody should speak to that person. Nobody can even text message them. Nobody can, can be on WhatsApp with them. Especially if it's the opposite sex. You, you control everything. You control everything. I know of, of a husband who always counts the amount of data. You know, he will count, okay, in the morning this was a, a, a megabyte that you have, and now, you know, it has gone down by, by five megabytes. Who did you text? Who did you, uh, you WhatsApp? And all those, he's trying to control everything. That's what you call money I love. Very obsessed. And the last kind of love, it's what they call the agape love. This is the highest level of love. This is true love. This is true love. The agape love, it's true love. It's a decision to give love in any circumstances. When you are totally, wholly given to someone or something, that's agape love. You, you love that person without conditions. No matter what they do, you continue to love them. And only God can do that. The agape love. That's the love that God has for us. The Bible says, even while we were still sinners, God loved us. Even when you ignored Him, God loved you. Even when you did not know Him, He loved you. That's the agape love. So the verb that is used... In John chapter, three, chapter 11 verse 3, the verb that is used is agapeo. The one you agapeo is sick. The one you agapeo is sick. Jesus had a special and a unique bond with Lazarus. Jesus was a friend of Lazarus. I want you to see the bond that existed between Lazarus and Jesus. They were very close. To us. It was not just any kind of love. This was the agapeo kind of love. And the Bible says, the one that you love is sick. Jesus was, I mean, Jesus loved Lazarus. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus, but he got sick. But he got sick. Just because you are a Christian does not mean you will not get sick. And that's why most of us, we get disappointed. We get hurt. Jesus loved Mary. Jesus loved Martha. He loved Lazarus. Just because you are a a Christian, you are a child of God, it does not mean your brother will not get sick. It does not mean your wife will not get sick. It does not mean your husband will not get sick. It does not mean your child will not get sick. 
The question is, what do you do when they get sick? Mary and Martha, they knew who to call. They called Jesus. They called Jesus. Sometimes you are given a wrong gospel that says, when you become a Christian, you will never get sick. And some pastors, they keep preaching that kind of a gospel. You know, that time somebody shared with me an experience that they had of one pastor who used to preach this kind of gospel that when you get sick, it means you are a sinner. When you get sick, it means you are not right with God and all those kind of things. And one day he was diagnosed with diabetes. The very same pastor. So when you are supposed to go and collect the medication from the local clinic, he felt, uh, you know, he felt uncomfortable. Because they will ask him, so what, I mean, what, what you used to preach was that somebody who gets sick, it's because they are not right with God. So what happened to you? So what he will do, he will make an arrangement with a local nurse who worked in that, uh, in that clinic to go and collect the medication, to pick up the medication for him every month. Brothers and sisters, we have to stick to the right gospel. Here is Lazarus, who was a close friend of Jesus, but he got sick. We have to understand that our bodies do get worn out sometimes. We will not be here forever. In actual fact, when you get sick, it's a reminder that you are temporary here. As you grow old, your body will not be as strong as it was when you were still young. Ultimately, our bodies will stop functioning. Ultimately, at some point, it will not function as it used to. And this proves to us that we are not here permanently. We are all here temporarily. This world is not our home. We have better promises of a permanent home. A better promise of a body that will never get sick. A body that will never die. And I'm longing for that kind of the body. Where I will no longer feel pain. Where I will not be hurt. And the Bible refers to our current bodies as tents, temporal tents. Our lives here are very, very temporal as compared to the eternity. Brothers and sisters, I do believe in healing and I pray for people. I pray for the sick every day. I pray for people every day. I believe in healing. And I have seen many people being healed through prayer. Any healing that you see here on earth is temporal. It's temporal. Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever noticed? Do you know that all the people that Jesus prayed for, who got healed, and all these miracles that we always talk about in the Bible, we talk about in the Gospel, do you know that all those people have died? All of them, 100%. All of them, they have died. <laughs> Even Lazarus, he died twice. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, this world is not our home. We are all temporal here. Nobody is permanent in this world. We have a better promise. When you are sick, call your elders. Call your pastor. Call anybody that you need to call. Let them come and pray with you. Call other Christians to come and pray with you. Go and see a doctor. Go to the clinic. Go to the hospital. It's okay. There is nothing wrong with that. You know, I've had some Christians who say they do not believe in the hospital or going to a doctor or going to a clinic when you are sick. I want us to understand our theology and we have it right. Our salvation is not based on whether you go to the hospital or not. Our salvation is, is based on the finished work of Calvary. It's based on what Jesus Christ has died, I mean has done at the cross of Calvary. If our salvation was only based on whether you go and see a doctor or not, that would be a very cheap salvation. That would be a very cheap salvation. Whether you go to the hospital or you don't, you don't go to the hospital, if you are saved, you are saved. Going to the hospital and not going to the hospital does not determine your salvation. Oh, he goes to the doctor because he does not have enough faith. It's okay. If I don't have enough faith for my healing, as long as I have enough faith for my salvation, I'm okay. So we have to stop judging people or blaming people when they go to the hospital. It's okay to go to the hospital when you are sick. But what I want us to understand is Jesus, the friend of Lazarus, 
Jesus was a friend of Lazarus. But Lazarus, he still got sick. Now when he got sick, his family called Jesus. When his family called Jesus, they expected Jesus to, uh, to quickly rise. You know, it was sort of an emergency. Uh, you know, at that point. Now let's look at John chapter 11 verse 4. John 11 verse 4, the Bible says, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for, no, it is for God's glory. He says, no, it is, of, it is for God's glory. It is for God's glory. So that God's Son may be glorified through it. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. The word love there again is agapeho. Jesus agapeho. Martha and her sister. That's Mary and Lazarus. Verse 6. And that's the one that I want us to spend the next five minutes in. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Jesus was told that your friend is sick. When his friend got sick, Jesus did not respond immediately. Everyone thought he would take this as an emergency. And people forget that your emergency may not be an emergency to God. Your emergency may not be an emergency to God. Sometimes we, we, we expect God to do things at a time that we want Him to do it. Your emergency is not everyone's emergency. Jesus did not respond as everyone expected him to respond. They expected him to stop everything and attend to the needs of his friends. You remember? His friends. The one that he agapeo. <laughs> Mother and Mary knew that their friend is a healer. They knew that Jesus is a healer. I'm sure when he came and he visited them, he will share his ministry experiences, he will share what he has seen, people that he has healed, and everyone that he, 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 he has met, he had different challenges and he was able to help them. And they were very sure that the day we also have a challenge, Jesus will come and help us. What they expected was, Jesus will stop doing ministry, he will stop healing other people, he will stop being with the crowds. He will stop teaching the crowds. And they expected him to stop everything. They expected him to make an announcement to the crowds and say, due to unforeseen circumstances, we have to stop the crusade. We have to suspend the conference because Jesus has an emergency to attend to. Maybe we will announce and say, the trip that was planned has to be cancelled because Jesus' friend is sick and Jesus has to attend to him. No, no. Instead of, con instead of making those kind of announcements, Jesus continues with his ministry work as if everything is normal. As if everything is normal. Jesus loved Martha. He loved Mary. He loved Lazarus. But the Bible says he stayed two more days when they invited him. He stayed two more days when they told him that his friend is sick. Jesus did not do what they expected him to do. If it were you, if it were me, how would we respond? The one who always claimed to be our friend for years. Now when we come across a challenge, when you come across a difficulty, when you come across a problem, we invite him, he's busy healing other people, he's busy helping other people, but he's not willing to come and help his friend. How will you feel? Jesus did not do what they expected him to do. You will feel disappointed, you will feel hurt. 
How many of us are disappointed today? Because Jesus did not respond as we expected him to do. God will not always respond the way you expect him to do. Most of our hurt, most of our difficulties, most of our pain, most of our, of our disappointment, it's because we were disappointed by friends, we were disappointed by our loved ones, we were disappointed by our husbands, disappointed by our wives, disappointed by our children, disappointed by our parents, disappointed by our pastors, disappointed by our school principals, disappointed by our politicians, because they did not do what we expected them to do. Just imagine, how did Mary and Martha feel when Jesus did not respond as they expected him to respond? As I'm speaking right now, some of you, you are hurt. You are in pain because you are disappointed by God. You are disappointed by God. Because God does not always do what you wanted Him to do. Some people left the church because God did not do what they expected Him to do. Some are still hurt and disappointed because God did not answer their prayers as they expected Him to do. Today you are hurt. You are in pain. You are disappointed. Because God did not heal your loved one when you prayed. And maybe finally the person died. You did everything that you were told to do. You believed. You had faith. You prayed. You even fasted. Three days fasting. Seven days fasting. Twenty-one day fasting. But the person still died. God was not as quick as we expected Him to do. God delayed to answer your prayers. Then you lost your faith. Then you lost your trust. Then you lost hope. Everyone who lost their faith, everyone who left the church, everyone who stopped being a Christian, it's because they were disappointed that God did not do what they expected Him to do. That's all. That's all that, that happened. The reason you are in pain, the reason you are angry, the reason you are bitter today at God is because God did not intervene in your situation as you expected Him to do. Actually, as we continue to read, we realize that Lazarus finally died and was buried. He died and was buried. In verse 11, the Bible says, And after he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend, he keeps on saying friend, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I'm going to wake him up. Something very interesting. And I wanted to get this into, in, in, put in the right perspective. Here is your friend. He's sick. And they call you. And you are Jesus. You are the healer. The reason why they called him, number one, is because it's Jesus. It's, I mean, he's the healer. Number two, it's because he was their friend. And they expected him to come. He did not come. Number two, here is a friend that you love. He died. He died. When he died, the Bible says, Jesus continued to stay where he was for some more days until Lazarus died. I hope, I believe, that maybe they even sent another word to him. To say, by the way, your friend that you told you two, three days ago that he is sick, he has died. But Jesus continued to do what he was doing. Jesus did not even attend the funeral of his friend Lazarus. The one that he agapeo. Jesus did not attend the friend's funeral. How would you feel if you were Mary? If you were Martha? Here is the man who used to come to your house. You will cook for him. He will stay with you as your friend. Always he will say he agapeo you. But then here he is the situation... Your brother is sick. He does not come. Your brother died. He does not even come to the funeral. How much disappointed would you feel if you were Martha and Mary? And some of you are still angry because your so-called friends, some of them did not even attend the funeral of your loved one. 
Your brother got sick. You invite them. They do not even come. Or they do not even check on you. Here is Lazarus. He died. The brother of Martha and Mary. He died. They invite the so-called. So-called close friend. So-called close healing friend. He does not come. Your brother dies. Your friend. Doesn't even call you. Your friend does not even send the RIP message on Facebook. As people always do. Your friend does not even send a text message on WhatsApp just to say, you know, our, our condolences or our prayers are with you. Or only those, those kind of messages, those generic messages that people always send out. You don't even receive an email from your friend or a text message from your friend or anything from your friend. He keeps quiet until the day of the funeral. Until the day of the funeral. I mean, if Jesus was really the friend of, G, of, of Lazarus, you would expect him to, to come and conduct the funeral, right? You would expect him to be the main speaker at the funeral. At the funeral of his friend, Lazarus. Jesus did not even show up on the day of the funeral. He did not even attend the funeral of his friend. Just like any other person, they ask themselves questions. Why did he not attend the funeral? Then some days later, four days later, Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up four days later. Now in John chapter 11, from verse 7, we see Jesus showing up at the house of their friend. I mean the friend, I mean the funeral is over. They even rolled, rolled up the tents and everything. You know, they packed everything. It's, I mean the funeral is four days, uh, it's past four days. Yeah, it's four days over. So, everybody has gone back home. Now, John chapter 11, 17 says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. He had been buried for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles. Like I said, it's almost three kilometers from Jerusalem. It was not very far. How would you feel? So disappointed, right? And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary. Other people who were not, not their friends, they came to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Verse 11, I mean verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Verse 23. Jesus said to her. Your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. And verse 24. Martha answered. I know. I know that. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I know that in the resurrection at the last day. Yes my brother will rise Again. That's a very powerful statement. That's a very, very powerful statement. Jesus taught his disciples. Jesus taught everybody around him. Right from the beginning. A very important doctrine. A very powerful doctrine. The doctrine of resurrection. The doctrine of resurrection. Actually, this statement is what makes our Christianity it's what makes our Christian faith, it's what makes our belief different from any other faith. Our faith hinges around the resurrection of Jesus. Without the resurrection of Jesus, our faith means nothing. Your healing will start to come when you take the belief and the doctrine of resurrection to your heart. Jesus says, he's not dead, but just asleep. Just asleep. Jesus says, people believe that death is the end, but I believe death is just like sleeping. Some people believe death is permanent separation. Jesus says to them, death is not permanent separation, it's almost like 
sleeping. Just like sleeping. Sleep. That's a very powerful theological statement. Lazarus is just asleep. When someone is asleep, what do we expect? We expect them to wake up in the morning. Yes, we expect them to wake up in the morning. Actually, Paul also talked about it in First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul talks about the same thing. He talks about the doctrine of resurrection. Trying to indicate to us that we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to, to mourn like other people. We are the people of hope. We are people of hope. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul talks about the same doctrine, the same belief. And he says, in Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Paul says they have fallen asleep. That's a powerful theological statement. They have just fallen asleep. In other words, at some point, they will rise again. Let your sorrow as others who have no hope. We are people of hope. When our people, when we lose our family, when we lose our members, when we lose our relatives, we know that at some point they will rise again. And that is where our hope hinges around. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Those who have slept in Jesus, those who have died in Jesus, they will rise again. And that is where our hope lies. And towards the end, Paul says, comfort one another with his words. Right from the beginning of our Christian faith, our forefathers in the faith believed in the resurrection of the dead. Actually, when Jesus finally arrived in the home of Martha and Mary, Martha also reiterated what Jesus has taught them. She believed that his her brother will rise again. Her brother will resurrect. Brothers and sisters, it is painful. It is painful to lose our loved ones. It causes you know, excruciating pain. It causes the pain that you can't even explain to another person. You can't explain that pain to another person and the person understands it. No. But while we are grieving, while we are in pain, Jesus says there is an assurance that they will rise again. We will meet with them again. And that will bring hope to our lives. That will bring hope to the hurting. May God comfort all those who mourn tonight. May the Holy Spirit, the true comforter, touch and heal your heart tonight. It is my prayer that you do not give up. You do not lose your hope. You do not get offended by God. Lazarus, a friend of Jesus, died. Even if you are a friend of Jesus, you are not here permanently. This world is not our home. This world is a very temporal place. The life we live in this world is so short it is so minute as compared to eternal life. Those who have been with us for some time, you remember. You know, we talked about eternity. I said eternity does not mean long time. Eternity means there is no time. You cannot count like day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, or year one, year two, year... No. In eternity, those things do not exist. There is no time. Time does not exist anymore. Our hope and our comfort should be in Christ. What made Martha and Mary not get offended at Jesus is that they had a different understanding. They had an eternal perspective of life. Difficult as it is, difficult as it was, once you have an eternal perspective of life, your faith 
shall not be shaken by any circumstances. Your faith shall not be shaken by what happens here on earth. In verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and I am the life. The one who believes in me will live. Even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. They will live in eternity. And he says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? May God help you heal tonight. As long as you believe in Jesus. Death is not the end, my brother. Death is not the end, my sister. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Your emotional healing is in the knowledge and the assurance. It's in the belief that Jesus will resurrect you. Jesus will resurrect them again. And you will reunite with them again. Our ultimate end, brothers and sisters, is not the grave. Our ultimate end is in the resurrection. Jesus says, even if you die, you shall live again. That should give you hope. Our hope is in Christ. And Christ alone. This world is not our home. It's very temporal. In this world, we'll always have trouble. In this world, we'll always have pain. In our pain, we can still have hope. We can still have hope even in our pain. We can still have hope in our pain. We have to keep trusting in Him. There are three views or three perspectives of life. And I just to look at those three perspectives of lives. Number one, the first perspective is what you call external perspective. External perspective. You live life based on the external factors. You live life based on what's happening outside. You live life based on what will people say. What will people do? Do you remember, you know, as Jesus approached them? In verse 37, the Bible says, But some of the people outside, some of the people they said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? That's what people would always say. If you are a Christian, if you are a true Christian, why is your son sick? If you are a real Christian, why did you divorce? Why, why did your wife divorce you? If you're a real Christian, why did your brother die? Why did your grandma die? That's what you call the external perspective. You live life based on what will people say. And you're controlled by what will people say. You are trying to please everybody. By the way, if you, you try to please everybody in life, you'll never please anyone. You'll never please anyone. You want to make sure you get as much likes as possible on Facebook because if you say something controversial or something that mentions Jesus, some people will not like it. They will feel offended. You try to do things to please people. You dress to please people. You drive to please people. You buy a house to please people. What will people say? That's the external perspective of life. Everything you do is based on what will people say. What will people do? That is a wrong perspective of life. You get into debt because you are trying to, to, to please people. And you struggle with those debts and everything because you are trying to please people. That's the external perspective of life. There is also the internal perspective of life. What I think God should do. And that's caused us to be disappointed. I, spe- I, I expect God to heal everybody that I pray for. I expect God to heal my mom, to heal my brother, to heal my father. And if God does not do that, I get disappointed. I get hurt. And that has caused a lot of people to lose their faith, to lose their Christianity. Because God did not do what they expected Him to do. Remember, God is God. You are not. He is God. And you are not. God is not your toy. You cannot manipulate God. God is not your puppet. You can't instruct God. You can't give instructions to God. God will do what He wants to do. And our relationship with God should not be based on His performance. 
God may not perform as we expect Him to do. God may not have done what you expected Him to do. God does not have to prove a point to you that is God. And some people, they give God a pass mark. God, if you can, if you can get at least 70% of my prayers answered, I will trust you. You can't give God a pass mark. You have prayed, you have fasted, you quoted all the scriptures that you know, but your loved one still died. Because God is in control, you are not in control. So if the external perspective, we have the internal perspective that always gets us disappointed. And the last one is the eternal perspective. Eternal perspective, that's God's view of life. You look at life within the eternal perspective. You look at life here, it's only 100, maybe 100 years. But as compared to eternity, that 100 years means nothing. It means nothing. So anything that happens while we are still here, when you look at it within the eternal perspective, just like Martha, I love Martha. She says, yes, I understand my brother has died, but my eternal perspective says, even if he died, he will resurrect and he will live in eternity. That is the eternal perspective of life. My brother, my sister, once you understand life within that perspective, your hope will rise again. May God help us to have the eternal perspective of life. No matter what you go through, no matter your pain, can you see things the way God sees them? Jesus had the eternal perspective of life. And Lazarus was finally resurrected, by the way. Jesus said that Lazarus' situation should lead to the glorification of the Lord. The purpose of the situation was to glorify God. Some of us, we are asking ourselves, how can my situation glorify God? How can the sickness of my loved one glorify God? How can the sickness of my child glorify God? How can the death of my family member glorify God? At the moment, you may not see it. But within the eternal perspective, yet at some point, it will glorify God. Please don't lose hope. God knows what you are going through. And He will heal you. The story of Lazarus, the story of Martha and Mary and their relationship with Jesus, this is a story of people who had lost hope. But Jesus finally revived their hope again. And He can revive your hope again. I want you to understand something. God will either calm the storm in your life or He will calm you in the midst of your storm. Either way, He is still God. And he will remain God. He loves you. He loves you. He loved Lazarus. He loved Mary. He loved Martha. And he continues to love them. My brother, my sister, don't give up on God. Even in your situation, God still loves you. And God is always on your side. Let's pray.